thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for your word. And we're grateful that your word reveals uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we ask that the gospel would be preached in a way that causes us to understand mercy in a way that leads to us walking in the gospel. For us to understand that we are no longer in the domain of darkness, which is very real, but that we have been transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Father, I want to pray for uh, those who have never heard the gospel, never understood the gospel that they were here today. And Father, for us who have forgotten the gospel, which is so easy to do, Lord, would you make it new and alive to us again? And we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Uh, during the 1970s, if you were a believer at that time, I was converted in 1972. Uh, Christians were a little bit more open about their faith. I don't know what it was about the 50s or the 60s that uh, it was more of a private religion. Uh, and I don't know the historical reasons, but I, I think there was a revival that took place in the late 60s. And so Christians began to be a little bit more open about their faith, a little bit more, as it were, bold. And, and so I think one of the ways that Christians did that was they started putting bumper stickers out, right? So you see the ichthus, you know, the fish, and you still see that one. Uh, I remember one where you had the, the y'all yeah, remember the one, you had the one-way sign, it had one way, and then it had Jesus, so you knew that that person was a Christian. Uh, one of my favorites was uh, <clears throat> the one that said, uh, in case of rapture, this car may veer out of control. <clears throat> uh, one, I think the most... Uh, popular bumper sticker was the one that said honk for Jesus <laughs> and I remember uh, one night I was watching I was a new believer and, and uh, I didn't know what I thought about a lot of these bumper stickers but I remember I was watching the Johnny Carson show and so one of his guests uh, uh, conveyed the story about him that w- earlier that week was, was at a stop sign behind someone who had a honk if you love Jesus bumper sticker And so he said the person was supposed to have gone through the stop sign, and I was waiting, and so I honked my horn. And when I did, they looked in the rearview mirror, and they stuck their hand out like, praise the Lord. (laughs) And then he said, but that was not really why I was honking my horn. I wanted them to go through the light, so I laid on the horn. And he said, and this person went from uh, praising the Lord to making hand gestures out the, uh, out the window. And uh, thus another Christian witness down uh, the drain. But not only were there bumper stickers, there were, uh, remember, there's uh, license plates. You could, you know, you could take it off your car and put it on your next car. And I said there were a lot of, uh, a lot of license place slogans, but what I still see today is the one that says, God is my co-pilot. Now, I, I do not want to be in any way pejorative. I, I, you might have that. You might have that license plate. And, 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 and I think uh, 
there are people who are very sincere about that. And, and really, what they're, what they're, I think what they're wanting to say uh, is that God is very important to me. You know, God is he's with me in the car. If I'm a Christian. I, God is my co-pilot. The problem with that is that's wrong. You see, God is, um, God is more than a, your co-pilot. And, and God is to be more than important to you. Let me tell you this morning, he has to be more than important to you. Uh, we serve a God who is the sovereign God, who is your creator, and he is not only to be important, your whole life is to be centered around him. You're to glorify God uh, by, by your life. And I think kind of the idea it really is this. It's okay, well, I'm driving my car to the store. I'm picking up a date. I'm going on vacation. I'm driving my car, and I'm good. God, I'm glad you're there. And then when you hit an ice patch or you, you, the life really gets hard, then you kind of freak out and you say, hey, grab the wheel. And then after he grabs the wheel and kind of takes you through it, you say, okay, I'm good. <laughs> I'm back to uh, driving my car. And in a way, I think that's what we kind of want to do if we don't really know God. Uh, we want him taking control when it's out of control. But really, I would rather him let me drive, right? And do my own thing. Now you think about it. If you're a teenager and you're starting to have to wrestle with whether you believe these things or not. Do I really want God to, do I want to give my life to God? Do I, do I want him, as it were, to own everything uh, that's in my life? Now, some of us who are Presbyterian and our tradition is, is uh, to kind of almost mock that. Yeah, God is my co-pilot. We've got better theology than that. And here's our tradition. Let me tell you what I think we believe as Presbyterians. And, uh, and we have this document called the Westminster Confession of Faith. And that document helps uh, other people know what we believe about who God is and who Jesus is and who man is and what sin is and, and what the church is all about. It's a beautiful document, 33 chapters. But in chapter 3, it says this about the sovereignty of God. God from all eternity did by the most holy counsel of his own will freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass, yet so as thereby neither is God the author of sin, nor is violence offered to the will of the creatures, nor is the liberty of contingency of second causes taken away, but rather established. Now let me tell you what that's basically saying. Is that we believe that the Bible teaches that God is absolutely sovereign over every single thing. From the least to the greatest. Another chapter on providence. It says God governs all his creatures and all their actions from the least to the greatest. Even your sins that you're committing, in some way, God is sovereign about that. Or if you don't believe in God, or if you don't believe any of this stuff, God is sovereign over that. God would allow you to remain in your unbelief. Now, the thing that's interesting is how many of us, including myself, uh, will we'll, we'll give lip service to this. Oh, we believe that God is sovereign. Jesus Christ is Lord. He's raised from the dead. But in reality, we're deists, Right? In reality, we're worried about the bills. We don't pray about it. We don't get up. We don't go, hey, Lord, you know what? It's not my life. I want you to do with me what you want. You want me to be crucified today? You want me to die in a car wreck? You want me to be injured and be uh, paralyzed from the neck down? I submit my life to you. 
Now, so how does one begin to truly appropriate the gospel that Paul is talking about in our text? How do we bring it into our lives in such a way that we really are beginning to live lives of purpose and hope and sacrifice and commitment? Oh yeah, foster care. I really believe that's what God wants me to do. I really want to watch TV most of the time. But you know what, Lord? I won't give up my TV for you. No, obviously giving up your TV or giving up stuff to do foster care is not going to be very empowering if God is not calling you to do it. So how do you know? I'm going to tell you how you know. Is this important phrase that you must understand that theologians hammer home all the time, the good ones. And that is this, union with Jesus Christ. Not, not by faith plus works. Not, not by mingling uh, uh, God's work and our work, what God does and what we do, which is a heresy. But it's by God's absolute sovereign design that he unites us to Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I don't care how wicked you are because we're all wicked. I don't care what you've done. To be in Christ, to be one with him, to have union with Christ by the mercy of God is to make all things new. So whether you do foster care, don't do foster care. That's not the issue. That in Jesus Christ, all things are yea and amen. Where do I see that in the scriptures? You remember when Jesus was praying right, right before he, he died? Let me tell you what he says about union with Christ. Father, I do not pray for these disciples only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That would be us. That would be you. That they may all be one just as you Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Could it be any more clear than that? That was his prayer, is that for those who are true believers in Christ, and I'm not talking about the visible church. I'm not talking about people who have been baptized by water, but I'm talking about people who surrendered their life to Christ, have been united to Christ, that we are one with him and one together. Uh, Peter puts it this way in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. Peter says this, For we, as believers, have become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. And you, you have become partakers, not of intellectual thought. Now, I believe that about Jesus Christ. I believe he was raised in death. I believe I'm a sinner. No. You, by mercy, have been made partakers of the divine nature. And this external force has come to you and taken dead wood and made it alive by a foreign substance that set ablaze, changes the chemistry of that wood. So, I think this is what our text is about uh, this, this morning. It's going to unfold in Paul's prayer. What is this union? Uh, with Christ. So here is uh, kind of what I want to say this morning. That if you are to live a gospel-centered life marked by endurance, patience, joy, and power, then you must understand union with Christ. I, I'm, listen. 
We, we live in a culture that believes we can figure it all out. If I read enough, I, read, I, you know, I get my iPad and I do this and, and I do this and I believe this and I go to this conference, then I'll believe it. I can figure this thing out. I'm just telling you, stop that way of thinking because that was the heresy that Paul had to deal with once the gospel of grace was preached. People were saying, that's too simple. And, and we need to be more, we need to go to this conference uh, we need to be baptized in the Spirit. We need to have more fullness. We need to have the victorious Christian life. And we move completely away from where real joy and endurance comes from. And that is our union with Christ. Does that make sense? Some of you, let me put it another way. Some of you need to be born again. Some of you need to move uh, toward uh, the understanding that, that Lord, I, I am in you, I rest in you. I completely rest in you. And it begins to bring a peace and a joy and the life of faith begins to grow. Uh, Paul, when he talks about union with Christ, uh, uh, I, I read a book yesterday. I was supposed to be working on my sermon. I was preparing for it. I read a book by John Stott called The uh, Prepositions of Christ or something. But it was in Christ, through Christ, on Christ. <laughs> I actually couldn't put it down, so... It, but it was awesome. But 164 times he uses the term in Christ. I'm in him. I'm united to him. And all the railings of Satan and whatever he says about me as a pastor and you fell at this and you fell at that and you're not what you ought to be. The Holy Spirit says to me and to him. But he's mine. Now do you know that peace and that joy? So here's the thing that I want us to look at in our time together. Union with Christ is by absolute sheer grace. That's the first thing. And then I want us to see that union with Christ is marked by a life gladly surrendering to the reign and rule of Christ. And then finally, union with Christ brings the power to live the life that God demands. Because you cannot live the Christian life. Because it's not by works. It's not by law. It's not by taking sacraments. It's not by reading more and having a quiet time. Or doing this and the other. It is through union with Christ. Abiding in Christ. Jesus says I'm the vine. You're the branches. Apart from me you can do nothing. So here's the first thing. I think it's very clear in our text. Union with Christ is by sheer grace. Paul in verse 12, he says, uh, we give thanks to God the Father. And he tells you why he gives thanks. Verse 12, because he has qualified you, you who, believers, to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, uh, the forgiveness of sins. Now the reason I start with that verse, instead of starting with verse 12, is because, I mean verse 9, is because in verse 9, Paul is making the request. Uh, and we're going to look at the request in the, in the last two points. But the reason he can make that request in the name of the Father is because of these verses and what God has done. 
Basically, he's trying to say, okay, here's all this teaching that's going on out there that Jesus is not sufficient. It's Jesus plus something. Jesus plus uh, being baptized in the Spirit. Jesus plus the victorious Christian life. Jesus plus so-and-so. This text and these verses I read, everything has everything to do with mercy. Because our text says that he rescued us. Now, I want you to think about that. Here's the good news. The gospel is that Jesus Christ has come in the world to rescue sinners. Now, I want to tell you, if you're a sinner today, there's hope for you. But what's interesting here is this word for rescue. Uh, It's the same word that we use when we say the Lord's Prayer, when we say, Lord, deliver us from temptation. You know what we're saying? God, rescue me from temptation. Because I will tell you this, even if you're a believer, apart from God's grace, you will not resist temptation. You ever really want to find out how sinful you still are? Just just allow the Holy Spirit to be removed from you just for a moment, and you'll be just like David going after Bathsheba. So when we pray every Sunday, and I want you to learn to pray, Lord, deliver us from temptation. We're saying, God, even as your people, we need you to continue to rescue us from ourselves. Now, let me ask you something. Do you have a tendency to screw yourself up? Well, that won't be a problem. Nobody's going to find that out. That's not going to happen. I can say that to my wife and not have any problem. I can say that to my husband. I can say that to my children. It'll all be all right because we're all under grace. And you know what? You need to be rescued from that way of thinking. But this text is saying that he's rescued us because he's redeemed us. He's purchased us. He's forgiven us of our sins. And I'll tell you this right now. If you're a skeptic about the, the gospel of Jesus Christ, I would, lo- I, would, I would love to get, I'll buy your lunch. I would love to get together with you. But if you are a skeptic and you're saying, well, I don't really know if I believe in this anyway. And, and, uh, then I'm going to ask you, what are you going to do about your sin? What are you going to do about your own inconsistencies? You think when you die that just, uh, you know, all the bad things that people have done in the world are just going, as, as uh, Alex so ad- uh, adequately said in Sunday school class, it's just going to dissipate? Nobody's going to be held accountable? You think you're not going to be held accountable? And so how will you qualify yourself to stand before God? Well, our text tells us that it is the Father who has qualified us to receive an inheritance. Is that good news? Because I'm going to tell you, everybody in this room, I don't care if you're a kid, uh, you know what, there, there is this, there's this thing called the law of God. And God is serious about his law. And everybody's going to be held accountable to the law. But our text tells us that there's forgiveness of sin in Christ. And, when, when, <laughs> and, and God forgiving doesn't mean he forgets. But he remembers the work of Christ. That God is in the flesh being crucified for us. Now, one last thing before I go to the, my next point. Uh, let me put it this way. Uh, I, I think I've given this illustration before. So if you're kind of, well, I, you know, I know, man, I know I need to be more serious about my faith. I know. As a matter of fact, I, I read a quote by John Piper who basically said the reason that we don't, you know, young people uh, that grew up in the church no longer in hearse, uh, hunger and thirst for Almighty God is because they have been nibbling at the table of the world's fairs. Sitting around that table, nibbling at this and nibbling at that. And so you're not really hungry and thirsty. But let me tell you, who will be saved? 
Who will receive mercy? Who will be rescued are those who know they need to be rescued. I know I've given this illustration before, but um, I was about uh, in the 10th grade. This is before I was a Christian. And I was at uh, some uh, retreat, church camp. I can't remember. And uh, my brother and I were going to swim out to the dock where all the girls were. And so we're taking off. And I'm not the greatest swimmer in the world because I'm so muscular. So uh, (laughs) my wife and I went on our 25th anniversary. This is completely off course but not really but uh we we had to pass this test you know so we could do scuba diving and all that so if you're just swimming around that pool I flunked the test and you're talking about hurting the male ego but uh, anyhow they let me go anyway so um was a better scuba diver than she was uh so so anyway we're going across here okay and uh, and all the girls are over there and I you know you're 15 16 years old and so my brother he takes off he's skinny and uh, he gets over there, and I'm just, uh, but I'm not worried about it because I've got that, but you know, you had the buoys going out there. So if I got tired, I just grabbed that buoy. Well, I got real tired. And I'm not halfway there, and I grabbed that buoy, and guess what? That buoy was not hooked up to the dock. And uh, all of a sudden, it, you know, it's sinking, and I'm cramping. And so I'm trying to figure out how to stay cool, you know? <laughs> you know, I, I really want these girls to think, I mean, I know they think I'm handsome, but I, I want them to, but, but, um, and uh, so after a while, though, now I want you to hear this if you've never come to Christ, if you're nibbling at the table of the world, all of a sudden I started drowning, and I knew I was drowning, and do you think I cared what those girls on that dock thought about me? So I started screaming, cursing, because he was like, yeah, sure, you're, I'm like, hey, go, hey, Bob, could you come, I'm kind of tired. Yeah, right, sure. And uh, so I'm cursing, I'm yelling, and, and thankfully, my brother, uh, my brother comes out, and I'm him before I'm sinking, and I don't know Christ, so I'm like, wow, he grabs me, and he rescues me. And man, when I got on that dock, you think I cared what those girls thought about me? I was saved. I was alive. Let me tell you, your sins will sink you. And until you understand that when Jesus walks on the water, the point of the walking on the water, part of it is that the sea in the Old Testament and the New Testament time meant chaos and sin and confusion and he alone can say. That's for point number one. Do y'all see that? Do y'all see where it says he has, he has qualified you, he has rescued you, he has forgiven you, he has redeemed you, And the people of Israel stayed in the wilderness. By the way, they were in Egypt for 400 years without hope. And God didn't move until they said, God have mercy. And he heard your cry. So that's point number one. Here's point number two. Union with Christ is marked by a life that's gladly under the rule and reign of Christ. Now, where do we see this? Notice what he says in verse 9. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. Not filled with this other stuff that you'll, we'll see in chapter 2. Six steps of this and ten steps of that. But filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Okay, now there's a lot of stuff that's in there. But he is saying this. He's saying, I want you to grow in your understanding of who Christ is. 
and what he has done and what his will is for you as to why he saved you. Now, what, do, what does he mean here by, by knowing uh, the, the will of God? Well, ab- above all, the will of God is to know the person and work of Christ. John Stott put it well. I, this is one of, the, one of the advantages I got reading out of this book yesterday. I had to get something in the sermon. But he said, uh, he said this, um, We have become one with him, and now we grow in him. And then he says this, We have much more to learn, but God has no more to reveal than he has revealed in Jesus Christ. You hear that? Got a whole lot more to learn about Jesus, but there's no more for God to reveal than what he has revealed in Jesus Christ. And we're going to see that. All the fullness is in him. Why are you getting into this other stuff and missing the gospel? So the question ends up being then, well, what is the will of God? What does he mean by knowing the will of God? Well, here's what most people think it means, and it doesn't mean this. And I've said this before, but when I used to do conferences with RUF and, and I do seminars and I do the one on knowing the will of God, all the students went to that one. You know why they went to that one? Because they think the will of God is, how do I know who I'm supposed to marry? How do I know how many children I'm supposed to have? Uh, how do I know what job I'm supposed to take? How do I know this? How do I know that? But that is not what he's talking about here. The will of God is ultimately knowing who he is and what his precepts are. It, it, it is, it, it, Paul is saying basically this. You know what? Don't worry about tomorrow. I'll take care of tomorrow. You know what? You be worried about where you're gonna be, who you're going to date next week and you might be dead by Tuesday. Because it was God's will for you to be dead by Tuesday. So you can't really know that will. It's called his decrees. But what you can know is God's will in his precepts. In fact, students say, well, how, how do I know the will of God? I say, that's simple. Just turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. You know what it says? This is God's will for your life, even your holiness. You know what God's will for us as believers is? It's holiness. How are you going to be holy? By trying hard, by being good, by being moral? No, by knowing Jesus. <laughs> by embracing him. And if life, if you have union with him, begins to part, uh, it comes through you. Now, let, me, let me explain it this way before I come to my last point. I think I've told this before, maybe I haven't. When I was finishing seminary, uh, I was going to go to do RUF in Mississippi, Jackson, Mississippi, or near there, okay? But then, all of a sudden, this job opportunity came to go to Chicago, like wham, overnight, so everybody in Chicago says, we think it's God's will for you to go to Chicago. And I'm in St. Louis, okay? You need to go. This is God's will for you to go to Chicago. And then, uh, and then uh, so, I, I, so I called the people in Mississippi and said, well, look, I, can you give me two more days? I need to think and pray about this because these people up in Chicago are telling me it's God's will for me to go to Chicago. And this very wise guy named Bebo Elkin said, well, how let me throw a monkey wrench in that. There's a lot of people in Mississippi think it's God's will for you to go to Mississippi. So I guess you're back to square one. Well, listen, ladies, one thing you'll never know, you wives and moms, you'll never know the pressure a man feels when he makes a decision that affects his wife and kids. So here I am going, well, am I, got, I remember I went to, to a park and I sat in a swing and it was freezing cold and I'm swinging, praying, hours go by. Lord, how am I supposed to know? Do you want me to go to Chicago? My kids talk like this. 
or do you want me to go down to Mississippi? And they talk like this. <laughs> oh, man. I spoke in New York City one time, and I will never do that again. Um, and so I'm praying, and I'll tell you what, what, what the God said to me. It's very clear. It's very biblical. You know, you know, let me tell you, and I want to encourage you in this. He said, I don't care. Where do you want to go? You want to go to Chicago? But you don't go to Mississippi. I'm like, wow. And then, he, and then very clearly he said, let, let me tell you what I do want you to know. My will is for your life. I want you to know that I did not choose you to be a preacher. I chose you to be my son. And I sent my son so I could be your father. I don't really care where you go as long as you know that. And then after that, I was like, oh, okay. So it doesn't really matter. And he said, yeah, you're probably good with college students, by the way. So I did it when in Mississippi. So, so union with Christ is about your grace. Union with Christ is marked by life under God's rule. And he, ta- he, you know, he talks about walking, walking in obedience, walking. In fact, it's the same word where God in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 tells you as a believer not to marry an unbeliever, not to be unequally yoked. And then he tells you why. Because God, because light can have fellowship with darkness. And because God walks among you. Same word. And that as he walks in our presence, we're to walk in his presence. Now here's the last thing that I think our text says. Union with Christ is by sheer grace. Union with Christ is marked by life. Uh, under God's rule. Now, at this point, some of you have been going, I have no idea what you're talking about. This is like noise to me. And if it is, if, it, if what I'm saying is noise to you and it doesn't really make sense to you, it might very will be, well be because you don't want union with Christ. You're going, well, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to give my life yet. You know, I'm 18 years old or I, you know, I'm, a, I'm a, in high school and I got things I want to do. I don't got, you know, if I give my life to God, who knows what will happen when that, that's the truth. But you see, you're, you're, you're holding back. And so all this stuff doesn't make sense because you're at one with your idols. And so rather than ruling the reign and rule of Christ, you are ruled and reigned by your husband or your wife or whether you're handsome or whether you're pretty or whether you're smart or whatever it may be. You're dominated by people. And so you're at one with that, and it doesn't bring you joy and peace. It brings you misery. And I guarantee if I sat down next to you and I said, hey, let me ask you this morning. You don't know Jesus. I bet you're miserable. You go, actually, no, I'm not. I'm like, okay, well, maybe you're not there yet. I'm telling you teenagers this because I love y'all. And you're starting to go, all right, man, is is this stuff true? And by the way, this is why we need to do foster care. This is why we need to be involved in the lives of other people because our kids will actually go, wow, my parents believe this stuff. But, so here's the last thing. So how? Well, union with Christ brings the power to live the life he requires. It brings the power, he brings the power. It's not by works of righteousness which I've done, but according to your mercies have you saved me. Not by the works of righteousness, which I've done. And I'm telling you, that is the religion of the South. Yes, Jesus died, but you have to be baptized in the name of Jesus. No, you have to be baptized in the name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. No, you have to be baptized, or whatever it is. And that's not what this text says. And so the power comes, as we see in verse 11. May you be strengthened with all power, 
according to his glorious might. For all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. Strength and power to live the Christian life is only through union uh, with him. You know, Paul, and here's what's interesting about this. The, the only way you get that power is in your weakness. Father, would you, I've messed up again. Would you please strengthen me? You know, when we do the benediction, and you'll see a lot of people doing that, because we're trying to say, here's God's blessing to you because of Jesus. And you stick your hands out there needy going, I need his mercy. I need his blessing. Right? But notice what this power does. This power does, okay? That is, is unbelievable. And the law can't make you do it. One is endure, uh, and the other is be patient. Uh, to, to, the, the race uh, to, to endure. Okay, and let me tell you why you have to endure. Uh, and listen, and I'm almost done. The reason you need the power to endure is because if you're Christ, he is going to prune you. Matter of fact, as Jesus suffered, we are to enter into his suffering. I'm telling you, if you don't want to suffer, you don't want to be a Christian. And you've got one opportunity in all of eternity to suffer, and this is it right here on this planet. And as you're pruned, you bear the fruit. And let me ask you this. This is very important. Are you one with Christ in such a way that you're bearing fruit? The fruit of the Spirit. To endure. Uh, you know, I, I've said this, and a lot of people take it wrong, but I've always said I would never treat my children and discipline them the way God has done me. Does that make sense? Because we, we're kind of like, ah, that's okay. I don't really want to spank you. And you know, and our kids end up uh, maybe not being what they could be because we didn't bring discipline. But God brings discipline in those he loves so that we might bear fruit. And you have to endure. And then he uses this word patience, which is very fascinating this word patience is different in that it says this. It is the refusal to be upset by perverse people. And you know what? It'd be hard to be living with a perverse person, wouldn't it? And what does perverse mean? It doesn't mean perverted. It means reverse in the Greek. That you're going that way, they're going that way. And so if you are a believer and you're going to be dealing with difficult people, then you're going to need his mercy and his grace. You know how you can love your enemy? It's when you become worse than your enemy. Say, yeah, sure, I love you. Why wouldn't I love you? Jesus loves me and I was his enemy. And the gospel keeps coming at you and coming at you and it says, love that person. Endure, be patient because there is a glory to come. I close with this quote by a man named T.R. Glover. I don't know who T.R. Glover is, but John Stott quoted him and I read that book yesterday. <laughs> it's called The History of Jesus. He wrote a book called The History of Jesus. I don't know if he's a liberal. I don't know what he was. I don't know what he was. He's a historian. I didn't do know that. But he says this, and I close on this as we come to communion. Jesus, he wrote 100 years ago, Jesus remains the very heart and soul of the Christian movement, still controlling men, still capturing men. There is not a figure in human history that signifies more. Men love him 
or hate him, but they do it intensely. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the gospel of Jesus. All things are yea and amen in Jesus Christ. And so we come to the Lord's table knowing that when we hear these words, this is my body for you. This is the blood of the covenant that we can rejoice in the finished work of Christ. May we grow deep in him. And we ask it in your name. Amen. Those helping with communion will come forward. John is helping me serve communion.